0: Where are you?
1: How's it going, everyone? Uh, Today we have a special guest, um, and I'll explain why I kind of reached out to him, but uh, Raul Trajillo is uh, an incredible actor, uh, painter, um, army veteran, dancer, just an overall incredible human being, incredible background, and the reason why I reached out um, is because of his portrayal in Mel Gibson's Apocalyptico as Zero Wolf. Which is the first time I've actually watched an entire foreign language film all the way through without even looking at the words or I, the. <laughs> so, thank you for that role, and thank you for jumping on here today with us.
0: Oh, so, hey, it's my pleasure, man. Where are you? Where, where, are I, where, are you, ta- where are you talking from?
1: I am in Massachusetts right now.
0: So. Uh, oh, okay. So you got snow. Got you got cold. So,
1: yeah, no, it's 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 a weird winter. It's one of those winters where it's, the farmer's almanac was actually right, and uh, it's kind of uh, it's been uh, it's been all right with, yeah. especially the last year um, with the pandemic and everything. How has that affected you, kind of mentally, uh, physically, spiritually? Like, how have you kind of had to reset yourself as you move forward?
0: Well, you know, I I live in a make believe world anyway, so. <laughs> And, uh, and and uh, w- where I'm based is uh, in total isolation on a ranch in Northern New Mexico. So uh, it didn't really affect me. And beca- I mean, it affected me because I wasn't working, but I was able to be somewhere where I could stay isolated, stay grounded and be on the land and not really have to be around all the fear that I sort of felt once, you know, 11 months later, I came back to work, come here, came here to LA. And I was just amazed at, like, just the fear and uh, the, the look on people's faces of, like, really being Native and coming from a whole background of struggling and innate suffering on some level. It's like, dude, this is, this is life. <laughs> Get used to it. This is what it's like to live under the thumb of something that challenges you. I mean, uh, yeah, so for me, it's like I've been living and I've been social distancing for decades. So it wasn't really a huge stretch for me.
1: Right. And I guess one of the topics uh, is very interesting is that the indigenous peoples or Native Americans, like with everything going on, and I'm glad you brought it up, it's it's very fascinating that that those people and stuff have dealt with the craziness and the the slaughter and all this bad stuff to them. Yet now it's it's almost like you kind of see, like, man, what they've been going through their whole lives, we're now real, doing the last year. It kind of puts stuff in perspective.
0: It really does. All of a sudden, you know, uh, privileged uh people have to now look at it like, oh, I can't go out to eat at restaurants and where I can't do this, I can't do that. And you're like, and then you understand the thing, understand we're, you know, understanding first world problems and white people's problems. It's like, guys, get over it. There's a lot more at stake here. Let's talk about things that really matter. And, you know, one of those is, you know, social justice and the environment and uh, acknowledging of all people being equal. I mean, the list goes on. And so I, I just see it as a time of reckoning, a time for people to just get real about the stuff that really, really matters, and forget about just the petty bullshit that it means nothing in the big picture.
1: Right. It's also been fascinating too with the the at the onset the environment too the water the air nature it's it it really does. I wonder almost if this was a necessity to kind of reset Mother Earth, because our, our compass was kind of I mean, either side, whatever you are, not to get political, but it, we're no, we should all be on the same equal kind of playground, see eye and eye with each other. It's, it's just unfortunate it took a pandemic for people to kind of realize that.
0: Well, and, you know, and if you think about it on a on a deeper level, it's... Pandemics go on everywhere. I mean, Africa is actually probably one of the few continents that's really prepared for this because they've been dealing with pandemics and epidemics for so long. They're actually better prepared for something like this. It's the first world countries that this is like shocking. And to me, it's, it's, it's even more shocking that a country like the U.S., you know, that, 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 that considers itself such a, a civilized place and a leading, uh, leading figurehead for democracy and all that stuff. But we're the ones that have the worst numbers the worst reactions i mean you know people are still debating whether you know wearing a mask is your right or not i mean it's like come on guys so yeah pandemics and and all the other these other things it's, it's just nature's way of saying guys you're out of control i mean you know i can talk about so many origin stories from so many different people indigenous people indigenous creation stories and myths and it's always at the, the downfall of a particular civilization or time, you're talking about Apocalypto, that film was based on the fact that you know, a particular culture had just gotten to the place where it was so decadent and not working anymore from its highest place and ideals. So it's just, uh, it's gonna fall. And I think this is where the crossroads that we're at right now is, are we going to allow ourselves to evolve and elevate our consciousness to a place and line ourselves back up with not only Earth, but you know, universal forces that are at work and have always been at work. And are we gonna line up to it or are we gonna still just remain based on our egos and our narcissism and our bullshit? You know, and I say bullshit it's like, you know, fucking playing golf and doing shit that really does not matter <laughs> in the right. long run. When you're talking about water is being used to drain the Colorado River to fucking keep these places green. <laughs> It is. Don't um, get you started.
1: <laughs> no, I, I actually kind of want to. And so in March, last March, I started this podcast because I do security for bands, actors, artists, and all this stuff. And obviously that kind of stopped with the shutdown. So I wanted to keep learning and kind of just reach out to different people, learn about whether it's human trafficking, domestic abuse, martial arts. Well, one of the topics I did back in March was martial arts, and I wanted to reach out to different forms of backgrounds and history and lineages and trainings I've got familiar with. One of them was uh Okichita with uh Chief George Lapide up in Toronto, this ancient indigenous Cree Nation martial art. They used the Gunstock War Club and the Tomahawk. And I I was out of all the ones I studied and learned and wanted to reach out to and talk to, Chief George like it blew me away. And then I started thinking every movie I all my biggest like the actors and characters I really loved was either Wes Studi as Bago and Last Mohicans, or
0: mm-hmm. Sonny
1: Landham is Billy and Predator, or Adam Beach, those guys and Wind Talkers. Or it's just, I don't know what it is about the indigenous people, but they, it's almost, I wish there was better representation or more representation in Hollywood because I think their stories, whether they're good guys or bad guys or whatever, they're portrayed as like these incredible human beings.
0: Well, and hope, hopefully that will change now. I think uh, I think the the last year has shown that uh, representation does matter in Hollywood, and and hopefully now there'll be this reaching out to to more writers and creators. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, we're, we're all out there. We're all ready to do this, but you know, just being having uh, you know just being given the opportunity to do so, without always having to fall back on. Even to a degree, it's still like that. I mean, it, you know, it's to get a movie made that's let's, let's say it's based on some indigenous story, or whatever else. There's still this push of like, well, we got to get the lead guy, the white guy, and work the story around him. It's like, no. So, until we, you know, until that that decision is made to, to stop that thinking and realize that, you know, people like yourselves are actually really, really genuinely interested in a completely different perspective that. Is more authentic and more uh, less romantic, less romanticized of a particular you know time in history or, or whatever it is. So I, I, it is time, and we've been ready for for decades.
1: Right in the new world, as the dance choreographer, it's it must be great for ter- directors like Terrence productions like that to actually reach out to the experts like yourself to really create this this real atmosphere of what they're trying to portray. And so. Do you th- do you find that a lot of productions aren't doing enough of that in terms of kind of having the right people in place to teach this?
0: Definitely, it, it's always been that way. I've been I've been pretty fortunate since I started because of the background that I had as a dancer and as a choreographer. I mean, one of my first gigs, I think, was uh, choreographing a sequence for. Uh, Friday the 13th, like it's really bad, terrible <laughs> TV show back in the day, but they needed something and they wanted it authentic looking. And you know, what does that mean? I mean, when you're talking about recreating dances like in the new world, you know, in the 1600s, no one knows what those dances were particularly like. And especially in those areas right now. I mean, the people have been so uh, watered down, mixed uh, with European bloodlines, but the thing is, when you have a Native sensibility about your own culture, your own dances, your own songs, it's easy to lend, then lend yourself, uh, just as well as anybody else could, to a, a different, you know, different nation, a different tribe, if you will, uh, on that part, you know, in that part of the world. And just say, okay, well, let's go back to that time frame, what was available in terms of materials and uh, you know, blah, 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 what kind of musical instruments. And then you can then distill it all down to an essence. But ultimately the choreography itself comes from this place already of an indigenous expression. So you don't have to work hard at making things up. It's just already there. Uh, I I remember I worked with a bunch of powwow dancers at one point in that show. And uh, they would be like, oh, we wouldn't do this. And I was like, what do you mean you wouldn't do that? Can you imagine being, you know, <laughs> someone telling Crazy Horse after some fierce battle or something like that? Oh, you can't really do that. And he's going to say, yeah, I can. It was my battle. I won. I did that. And yeah, I'm going to dance about it now and, and do it in my way of telling the story. So that was always my argument. It's like, why can't we? It, uh, and I talk about this all the time with a lot of my contemporaries who are, you know, in the the uh, the plastic arts, painting and sculpture and installations and all that stuff. And we have been trying to move the the narrative forward with what makes art indigenous, what makes it native. It's like the fact that the artists themselves are, makes it native. So we don't have to keep uh, limiting ourselves to a worldview that, you know, that Europe and Europeans recognize as a form of art back in the day, you know, and it's just, let's just talk about pottery for instance, you know, they saw these great, pieces of pottery and works of pottery from people at a time and then they started selling that stuff and it became about money really and uh you know and now you get uh 10 years ago a virtual ortiz coming along wanting to do a piece of pottery and everybody goes whoa no that doesn't look native and he's like what do you mean it doesn't look native i'm a native man and yeah i've been influenced by star wars and i've been influenced by uh film and this and that and the other and it's like this is the piece so you know it's Pushing that narrative is hard for a colonial mindset because colonial mindsets wants to keep you in a romanticized place or in a place where you still remain other, mysterious, romanticized, but you're not really acknowledged and seen for who you are today. So this is a narrative that has to get pushed in all forms of art and all forms of media, music, I mean, you know, you name it. That's what moves it forward is allowing, you know, native people, indigenous people to speak for themselves in how it moves forward instead of being told, you know. And this happens a lot in making movies. I mean, Mel Gibson was amazing in that, in that regard, as was Terrence. I mean, to work with Terrence was a was such a gift. And because of working with Terrence, is how I got the gig with Mel Gibson for Apocalypse. He's like, you need this guy. He will train your 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 actors and get them to move a right, you know, a way that is believable and, uh, but you know, like in The New World is another example. Uh, Terence had originally written the, the whole script in English. And wow. he wanted all of it to be in English. And he wanted us all to speak in English, but with sort of an accent that wasn't native, again. But, right. and we're, I, I just remember looking at him, I said, Harry, <laughs> we've already done Dancing with Wolves. We've done Black Robe. We've done all, Last of the Month, we've done all these movies. And now you're gonna take it backwards, 10 more steps? No, you need to go forward. And that was a tough one. And as a result of that, it was turned into an Albunkian language. But the only person that he brought on board for the language was a linguist, a white you know, linguist who sort of interpreted the language, but he wasn't a native speaker because that language is not spoken there anymore. Powhatan is not spoken. So uh, just moving forward, I I ended up encountering a guy who still speaks Abenaki, and uh, it's it's an Algonquian language, and it's still spoken way up north, upstate New York. So he now is the only living speaker of that language, and now there are tons of Cree speakers. It's a little bit more remote, but we can do the same thing that we do in any kind of film that's period, whether it's the English and the accent has to be, you know, 16th century English as opposed to modern English, whatever. The same thing can now happen in that. But I have to say, I'm kind of proud that I stood up to Terry at that point and said, you can't do this. You can't do a movie in English. And first of all, you're doing a story about Pocahontas anyway and that whole story. And you're basing it basically on those same books. So <laughs> you're already kind of popping out. And uh, it was like, well, what do you suggest we do? And I go, why don't you two tell two parallel stories? Yeah. Why don't you allow me to create a movement language and a narrative within the film that just looks as if two people are simultaneously alongside each other, parallel to each other. But there is no real connect because they're just completely disparate people and they just will never see one another. And that's why you can explain now why, you know, uh, the John Smith character would never fully understand that way or the other way around. And I right. said, and, and to be honest with you, uh, moving the narrative in a, pow- in a positive way would be to acknowledge that Pocahontas was not just some like, you know, struck girl who like loved white European dudes. It's like, why not? She would have she been a, a, a woman in training for the medicine ways of a matriarchal society. Show that, show that there's this aspect of there's a depth to being culturally intact. With the folk people so that's what ended up being in the movie and why i think it didn't do so well in terms of hollywood because they're you know terry has a film he has a, a knack to meander through his films and they're all beautifully and poetic but they don't always uh tell a particular story and i think in that case with that movie what was interesting and beautiful about it was it was just you just want to watch it because it was so beautiful Right, like, as you really like you like were there. That it didn't right. go anywhere. We, only, we, only, we already know like that history. Yeah. Like yeah, and we already know that history. We know how it ended up. So, But what would be important is to see maybe the journey slightly different. I think we could have gone further, but I think he was still ultimately afraid of what it is to really empower all the Native people with an identity that is not Eurocentric. And that's always going to be tough. You know?
1: Is is there a story out there? And I know there are, uh, I mean, everyone has heard the, the crazy horse or city Bull, And I think there should be more stories about that, but is there a story out there of a person, a man or woman, or a tribe that you think has yet to get its due diligence, you'd love to kind of put a project together for?
0: Oh my God. There, there, there are so many, so many, uh, I think personally, if I can think about, uh, there would probably be two projects, three, three that I would I would tackle. Uh, one I won't won't even mention because somebody else might want to be, be to it. But it's actually based on a book and a really well known book that was made into a movie at one point, but it failed miserably because first of all, there were there were no there was no native actor. Involved in that role. So already, you, know, right. you lose. Uh, <laughs> that one would be a brilliant one. It, it's more of a, it, it's a, it's a kind of a, I don't know, it takes place in the maybe 1920s, 30s in America, in the Southwest. Uh, I'm, just, I'm not going to go any further, but there's that story I would love to tell because now to tell it and again to represent those particular people down there and let that language be heard because. That language has not been used in any movies that I know of. And it's part of, uh, they're the people that I'm actually, that I come from. There's another movie that I would like to make. It's a little more personal. It's based on a a young artist, a dancer that I knew back in the day. And we helped start a whole movement in dance. Uh, I would like to use him. He he died of AIDS uh, in the early 90s. But I would like to tell his story as an artist, but not as a dancer, but as a painter. Because I, I, I love painting and I love artists, you know, painters themselves and just what they can create. So I, one of my pet projects is to finish this screenplay, get this screenplay out there, get it produced or produce it myself, whatever. But, you know, get the money for it, but also do an exploration of, again, what we talked about earlier, Native art, uh, Native artists, and the whole idea that for us sometimes there is no separation between life and art. They're one and the same. You know, we live our art, and art isn't just an expression of our lives. And uh, and then the third one would be one that's more sort of uh biographical of my family lineage and the slave trade that actually happened in the southwest amongst native people being traded uh to one another, traded, you know, Apaches raiding Comanches, Comanches raiding Navajos and Uh, youth and trading them all off in this big slave trade that, you know, happened in uh, Taos. Taos was one of the big centers for slave trading back in the day and sort of created a a diaspora of Native people because they then became Hispanicized, uh, Catholicized, and forgot who they were ultimately, but they still remained, you know, Indigenous people. That's another story that I would love to, to tell based on... You know, family family histories, family oral history, but also to tell part of history that you don't ever run into very much in any books. I mean, I think I read one called the American, uh, the American Slave Trade, or something like that. But it was more historical, not story, right. you know, uh, a story. But but again, there's, there's 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 knowledge about it. But you can imagine, you know, what the drama are in that, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, constantly work. So I just can't stop working as an actor, it seems like, <laughs> these days. Now, is there
1: still a issue with, say, Navajo and Comanche or Apache and Huron or Iroquois? Like, is that – or did that kind of go out of the way to kind of stay together and band together now? Like, because I'm, I'm, I love – like, last week, it's, you had, like, the Mohawk versus Iroquois or, you know, all this different dynamic. But does that dynamic still exist today where – there is that kind of like that, that that kind of energy where they still kind of don't get along with each other?
0: Uh, you know, yeah, no, that's, that dynamic has changed to a degree. We don't, we, you know, what, you know, nations that were traditional enemies, you know, 200 years ago, that's kind of gone now. I think we've all entered a place now of indigeneity where we need to come together as just a group of indigenous people in the Americas. And, you know, but what's changed? Now, before there used to be such an American identity about it, and, uh, and you know, Canada would have its own identity, and Mexico would have its own identity. And now it's kind of, I've seen just in the last year, uh, a lot of people pushing those boundaries and saying, you know, we need to start embracing indigeneity amongst this whole Western hemisphere and stop, stop putting, in, putting up those colonial borders for ourselves. They've already been imposed on us. Why are we going to keep adding to it. Uh, You know, in terms of nation to nation, I mean, you know, you mentioned Mohawk, but Mohawk are part of the Iroquois Confederacy. So the Iroquois Confederacy embodies quite a few, uh, you know, uh, different nations, they're all working together as a Confederacy. You know, and probably a lot of things that people don't know about. Our constitution was based on the Iroquois Confederacy, because they saw how it worked. The only difference is that these these European white men couldn't figure out that it actually meant giving up the narcissism, grow the power to make it work <laughs> so that's kind of where we're at right now how can we make that truly work because these guys put pen to paper to create this incredible you know idealistic worldview that actually worked with the Iroquois so that's the test now is making it work for all people but that dynamic has definitely changed now we're grouping together I mean we still recognize it's still important to come into Situations and identify yourself, your bloodlines and the land that you come from and acknowledge, uh, the land that you actually come to to meet people. I mean, those are all protocols that. That will never go away and should never go away because it's a way of acknowledging one another as we are all, uh, we're all here together on this land, uh, you know, which is one of the problems about. Colonization, colonization does not uh, acknowledge that colonization is about boom, end of you. It's us now. Move forward. Uh, I mean, you see a lot of that today. I think, uh, and all these, you know, white Americans who are like, "This is our country," and it's like, uh, "No, dude, it's not."
1: <laughs> you know, it's true. Um, apocalyptic. You know what I'm saying, though, right? No, one hundred percent. It's it's almost embarrassing. Apocalypto. In, Apocalypto. Zero Wolf. Would you get the cat? Are you? Was that your? Was that the role you went out for, or were picked for? Or is that something you kind of, once you got on set, you landed on it?
0: No, uh, yeah, no. How that worked out was basically uh, Terrence, he called Mel up and basically says, you need this guy in your movie. And uh, Mel had me in mind as the character of Zero Wolf. I think he uh, he was just, you know, concerned because, you know, again, he wanted faces that really did look Mayan. Inside, Uh and you know, there was definitely a look. You can always, you, you, you can see somebody from down there and go, oh yeah, that guy's a Mayan, this guy's a Nahuatl, you can, you can kind of tell. And he was, you know, I mean, I'm six foot. Uh, it, would, it would be rare to find uh, a six foot back in those days of, you know, a Mayan. So he, he, he made me work for it. I remember, I remember clearly uh, I had to meet with the casting director in Santa Fe and there was no audition. It was just simply stand in front of the camera, turn left, turn right, profile, this and that, and just say your name and all that stuff. And I just remember feeling like, ah, oh, Jesus, here we go again. It's like, fucking look at what I do. Hire me based on that. I don't have to just do all that shit. I did it with such attitude. And <laughs> so when I actually, then he actually called people into his office for meetings. They actually flew everybody in for these meetings. And he just sat and talked. <laughs> I remember just, he looked at me and he says, yeah, yeah, I remember that, I remember that slate of yours, kind of had a lot of attitude, he goes, I can tell you right now, as soon as I saw that, I knew you were zero wolf, he goes, but how tall are you, and I go, i six foot, he goes, no, no, not, you're about as tall as I am, and I go, no, I'm six foot, and he stood up next to me, and sure enough, he was like, "Yeah, go, yeah, six foot, you're not, uh, and he goes, well, do you mind wearing a prosthetic nose, and I go, dude, you can make enough I can do anything you want. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just had fun with it at that point. So uh, he was like, Yeah, you're, you're Zero Wolf, definitely. So he had me in mind for that role. I didn't wear a prosthetic nose, but that wasn't the big deal.
1: Now, the physicality of that and the weapons and the tracking, and how much did you of a lead weight did you have to kind of learn the culture and kind of what your character was kind of bred to do?
0: Well, we had a we had a three month prep period. Uh, a lot of that was mostly immersed in language. Uh, you know, none of us even remotely spoke uh, Mayan, and so three months in training to learn language, and he made us run our asses off. We trained so hard to get into a shape that it'd be believable to just see us run through these. You know, these really dangerous forests i mean the roots the things i mean dude my knees are still fucked. my <laughs> knees are so fucked from that movie I'm running for 11 months but we did we we had to work our ass off work with the weapons do all that stuff spear throwing i mean everything just to make sure that we were comfortable with it that's one thing I can say about mel he's got huge integrity as the director and he really wants to make sure that everybody is at the top of their game for it so we worked our asses off though so
1: for it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a great movie, and every time it's on, or every time I find it on streaming, or I threw on the Blu Ray player, I'm like, yeah, it's so. It's just like we talked about too, before, but hearing a, a, a snippet of that story of what that culture could have experienced, it's just I wish there was more of that out there for us. And the fact that there was no English speaking made it that much better.
0: I agree. I mean, that's the great thing about Mel, and I think why he didn't even get uh, funding originally for it because he would not acquiesce and say I'll do uh I'll do it in English he goes I want to do it in Mayan no one has heard Mayan spoken in a major film <laughs> and you know the way you know it man so awesome that way he would be like you know basically it's it's a chase movie the action chase movie but on foot and in another language and he and he kept the the dialogue so basic he goes it doesn't matter that People aren't going to need to follow it and beat it. They're going to be engulfed in this world, first of all, that they've never witnessed before, and uh, a, a whole cultural expansion of uh, you know of cinema. It's like he knew that. He knew that right from the very beginning. It didn't matter. Just visually make it awesome, and it is it's a classic. It's kind of cool. It's
1: kind of cool how it's come full circle. Now you're on the show, uh, Mayans, and. Uh... <laughs> Which is uh, it's kind of cool that you've actually able to kind of do that little tongue-in-cheek type thing there. But to join a show like that, it must be pretty cool that you're joining some, something where a pop culture fandom is really rabid uh, for that environment.
0: Uh, I, dude, I can't even tell you. I feel so incredibly blessed. And, uh, like, yeah, I just a gift was thrown into my lap to do this. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't shock me, you know, that it was like, of course it's my end and it's how many years later, it's like, no, it made total sense. Yeah. Almost 15 years later, I guess after. Yeah. Cause I was 50, 50 when I did, uh, Apocalypse, yeah, 15 years, 12 years to come around full circle, but two minds from a different perspective of again, a modern world, America, but still subversive underground still, you know, Faza is still an indigenous character who's trying to, I mean, my whole journey is always about just justifying how I, you know, we're rebels, we're warriors, we still are, you know. And the Motorcycle Club, I think, personifies that more than any most any real subversive group in America still. They're outlaws. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm super blessed and I'm super grateful for it.
1: Now, with your background, the Army, does it kind of help where you do a movie like Riddick or, say, any other movie where you have to pick up a gun or do, like, these military tactics? Is that kind of fun for you to kind of relive what you actually did in real life?
0: For sure. Uh, you know, I have to say the, the, most, the most fun part, though, is I think the most fun part I've always had in any of my work is just being able to do what I do knowing it's what I do kind of in real life. Like I was trying to tell you, my, my life journey, my, my film journey, theater journey, whatever, has always been really intertwined with who I am as an artist, as a human being, and, you know, as a spiritual being. So, I mean, uh like I said, yeah, the challenge for something like this, though, is it's not about shooting guns and doing all that, but it's why are we shooting guns and why are we doing all this killing? Why are we doing all this, uh you know? I have traded in basically my real horse for a motorcycle, but it's you know it's still horsepower. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just all an incredible opportunity to just do what you know—not only what you love, but again, like it's—it's it's, my whole life has led me to this moment, so I'm just embracing it for that.
1: The other day, I was watching. This was—I was trying to fall asleep, and uh, Highlander Three came on. And I literally <laughs> reached out to you, I reached out to you, like, the day before, and I, I, I'm not even thinking. I'm like, this is so, it's, it's a side, because it looked like you had so much fun filming that. And I guess the question, those type of roles, for you just to kind of play a character that some might be a throwaway, but you add something to the movie, it must be fun playing these kind of side characters that are just, they're memorable in their own right. But it's just, that movie, it's just... It looked like you were having fun. And you weren't in there that long, but your parts were memorable.
0: Uh, You know, and it's the same thing with like uh, the black robe. Uh, I remember when I shot that one, Bruce Beresford, you know, he was like, what role do you want? I'll like let you pick. And I'm like, I'll take that one. And he goes, it's only gonna work for like three days. I go, yeah, but we're gonna remember that character in the whole, from the whole movie, rather than being in it. Sometimes it's just about, those characters being more interesting you know like sicario same thing it's like i just i want an opportunity to work with uh, benicio and uh, Denis, and Denis was just like well i i'm tired of seeing you always a bad guy i'm going to make you a good guy in this one so it's like uh, you know sometimes it's just it's just the uh, I don't know it's just it's working with a director who just gets you and knows that you can do anything you just give an opportunity but Highlander, it was so funny you brought that up because I had a blast. I mean, it's like, where else do you get paid like $50,000 for not even a week's work (laughs) to just go ride horses in the snow and we yield a sword and have fights? It's like, come on. (laughs) I'm in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's. uh,
0: I'll do it.
1: That's cool. And then you actually came full circle again with Mel Gibson, the Bloodfather, which. Well, how was it different working with him on the same side of the camera as opposed to him on one side, you on the other this time around? Uh, you
0: know, he's still he's still uh, the same playful guy, and uh, even a movie like that because he's Mel Gibson. You know, I mean, he he definitely was not directing it or anything else. He wasn't even producing it. I think in the end, maybe he like threw some money at it when they were having a little financial struggle. But bottom line is, he's always Mel, and he's always got opinion. And people are going to value that opinion about something. Uh, for me, working with him as an actor on that one was just blast because now we could actually take it to another level that we started in apocalyptic Because he was always, you know, he worked with some non-actors on that one. And then he always felt he had to direct me, you know. And and at one point, I'd be like, Mel, I think I got this. Trust me. And uh, so interesting being Blood Father now because, like, now I'm like, oh, okay. So now we're in it, and I'm chasing you. <laughs> the time I'm chasing you, I'm hunting you down. And uh, he's just, he's fun to work with. He just really is. Oh, I'll take him as a director any day, but I, working alongside him as an actor is is just as much fun. I mean, he puts himself out there and beats himself up just like he expects you to do it, and he doesn't whine about it. So you know, I mean, I'm still whining about my knees 15 years later, but dude, <laughs> they're thrashed. <Right.
1: laughs>
0: Now, when you were in the Army,
1: Army, did your love of painting and dance and stuff, did that kind of slowly come through as you were in the Army? Or is it one of those things where, and it's crazy how you ended up in the Skis Alps back home after stationed in Germany. It's like you have Mm. this, this period of your life. It's very fascinating. How did it kind of formulate the way it did?
0: Well, they all did come together because I was in the Army in Germany, but I was also a ski patrol for the Army. That's how, because of my background as a skier in New Mexico, I went in as a medic, but, you know, working in hospitals and uh, medical detachments. But it was because I was a skier that I got onto the patrol because they wanted actual Army guys rather than having to hire outside people, which they did, some. But if it was uh, if they had you know uh, soldiers that basically knew how to ski, we were already paying them, so let's just move them down. So that's that's how that happened. So it was because I was already a skier. Uh, but then it because I was in Germany and in Europe and skiing and like I skied everywhere everywhere. I mean everywhere in all those Alps. But then I started now experiencing all the art that I had studied about in the books. And all the artists now I'm actually able to see them you know the Picassos and the matisses and all that stuff in museums now in galleries and everything else and so that's that influenced my life because now I'm seeing it for the first time I'm seeing the masters and I'm seeing it like close up and uh but yeah I think it's just, yeah arts just always had this this hold on me uh you know as and I mean literature as well I mean all of it I mean I'm just I really took it all very seriously as a young kid. I was one of those kids, you know. It's like I did a lot of crazy stuff, like hanging out by myself in canyons and, you know, climbing walls, you know, cliffs and doing all that stuff. And uh, But I wasn't like a team sport dude, so it was like I was a reader and engulfed in books about art. And uh, so it all just came together. It's just wild the way it came together. I mean, sometimes I'm kind of blown away at it, and I think sometimes that there's to do the madness of just surrendering to your journey and staying true to whatever it is, but you recognize signs along the way and signposts that say, "Up, oh, turn here, go there." And so, even though the army came early in my life, the end of the draft uh, in uh, 1973, it took me there. But what I wanted really was to take advantage of now being in Germany, being in Europe. You know, being surrounded by a whole other language, a whole other culture. And they love Indians in Europe, especially in the 70s. And, you know, I'd be hitchhiking all over the place and just being picked up by everybody because they're like, hey, where are you from? uh, It's just like I say, it's always in the right place at the right time. And I always tell everybody that, like what people ask me now, what what, uh, advice do you have if I want to be an actor? It's like, you know what, if you need to ask that question, you'll know know what to do where to go and how to do it just do it you know i mean no one told me oh you need to take your 500 dollars that you have and just move to new york you just do it you know so you pay, you have enough money to pay for rent and a pound of rice and beans <laughs> until shit happens and then there you are you're in it you're in the trenches and the next thing you know it you're touring the world and theater and performing so you know what i mean Right,
1: if people wanna see your artwork, now I don't know, do you have a gallery or do you have places where people can kinda of see your prints whether it's on your website or stuff like that?
0: No, 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 I think uh, I think you have a misunderstanding. I love painting, but I'm not a particular painter. I collect art, Okay. I, this, this thing's all reversed. Yeah, I'm not a painter. I, I basically, the art that I, when I say I do art, as an artist, it's—I mean, I—it's—it's I, it's everything. But I mean, it's like, like my houses. I'm on my third house now. I build my own houses. I design my own houses. I design the the gardens and do that. Uh, I collect art. I dabble here and there with installation pieces of sorts. But you know, definitely, I'm not that kind of artist that you know puts a brush to a canvas and sells it. Right. I wish. And maybe one day I will. But not right now. I just had to time. This is like, I'm reversed. There we go. I, like that. <laughs> I got bad so, hair. That's why I got bad so, hair. Uh,
1: yeah, so with everything going on, and as, a, as your industry opens up, the entertainment aspect, what are some projects you have coming on? Or is there anything coming up where you can kind of you're excited to get back in, out there? Or is there some sort of trepidation still where it's like with safety and health and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, it's a a couple of things right now. Uh, I basically, I am locked into Mayans. And I'm I'm grateful for that because it's definitely something that's solid. And it uses up a lot of my time, especially this year because of COVID. Uh, You know, we're in production now until probably like beginning of April. The idea is that we're going to premiere and then maybe take six weeks off and then go right into another season. So that's right there is, my life is being used up. And uh, like I say, gladly, because I love FX uh, and everything that we're doing here. So that, and this is sort of taking maybe small film projects. I mean, and again, some of them took a bite. I did a movie with Jason Momoa that he produced and uh, Christian Camargo is uh, the director on it, but it hasn't been released yet. And uh, it didn't even get to the festivals like we wanted to because of COVID, so, you know, but that movie will be an interesting one because that's a, a remake, retelling, let's use that word better, it's a retelling of the story of Willie Boy that Robert Redford had done in the oh, wow. 70s, and uh, this is more, like I say, authentic, it's, uh, a, you know, part of Jason is always about, he just loves sort of setting the record straight about certain stories, and he was really passionate about this one, but you know, there's a couple of film projects that are there, they're looming, but there's no full commitment again because of this COVID thing. Uh, you know, it's definitely putting a huge damper on a lot of possibilities because no one can really fully commit. Right. Uh, because the minute you do, all of a sudden you're like, you know, my show, Mines, all of a that happened like now in uh, October when we started. They were like, uh, we're going the beginning of October. I was like, oh. Okay, so I gotta say no now to this movie that I was going to do. So yeah, it's it's all about mine right now, and that's and that's a good thing because I'm good. so in love with the show, and I'm in love with uh, the whole creative team behind it. So it's, I'm really good here.
1: It's a great character that actually that really fits in with the history of like the Sons of Anarchy and that whole world they kind of built there. It's kind of cool to see you have that character now that. Other people kind of found the previous eight years of the other show.
0: Yeah. Well, th- and you know, and we're really we're really delving deep this season into real personal stories, and uh, and the writing is really really amazing. So uh, I think fans are going to be really blown away by this season. So
1: you are on Twitter, you're on Instagram. Is that the Bay Places kind of fans and followers to kind of see what you're up to? You know, I, I, I
0: you know I do. I don't do Twitter anymore, I did, and to be honest with you, I was like, you know what? This is bullshit. I have to read so much crap on here. Uh, Twitter, Twitter to me is just like, no, I'm sorry. I just do not get it. Instagram, I've been a little bit better with because at least it's about sharing pictures, pushing you know, agendas for certain things that need to happen and re-educating people. And, you know, having a good sense of humor, and I love posting pictures of my ranch, but to be honest with you, I'm kind of at a place now where I'm like, I don't really need to be here. It's kind of like, I don't know. I'm starting to sh- just get a whole different, like a bad taste in my mouth about social media. And uh, I think probably one of the reasons is because I find myself on it, like just looking and being a more of a voyeur, and I'm like, what are you doing? Right. You know, but again, it comes with sitting in Los Angeles, with too much time I my hands, and not on my ranch. Doing all the stuff that I really, really love doing. And so I just got more time on my hands. But yeah, Instagram at this point, you know, Raul Max Trujillo official is where I'm at. Uh, we'll see if it doesn't, if I don't go into a hiatus soon. But so far, that's who we are.
1: So I guess your followers can't find you on TikTok.
0: <laughs> that way you know.
1: I uh, every
0: once in a while I do love watching some shit on TikTok. It's like, wow, that's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> it is. I actually I'm not on there, but I, again, like you, like I'll get sent a video, and I'm kind of like, oh god. But then you go down a rabbit hole, and I actually came across whatever the app is where you start off one part. But I follow this indigenous uh, this guy. I think he's Cree nation, but he'll do like these dances, with, like the hula hoops and like the crazy like dance the dances with the costumes, and it's Again, I don't know why I'm drawn to those people of that history, but it's so, it's someone using social media in a cool way to kind of learn about a different culture or a person. And for that, I'm grateful for social media. Everything else is bullshit.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm completely in agreement with you. And for that reason, I'll help push, like I say, certain agendas and expose people, you know, bring attention to, you know, missing murdered indigenous women, uh, Culture. I mean, I, I remember I posted something like this little five-year-old guy, little, little, little guy at a powwow, and this little guy was dancing so hard. And I was like, I, I had to post that because people need to see. There's a little five-year-old dancing a little hard off in the way that his dancers have been doing for, you know, forever. So, yeah, that's the only reason I think I stay on it is just to help push agendas. And, uh, and again, but, you know, I can actually go into the rabbit hole of YouTube. YouTube is like my weakness. I get on that thing and (laughs) (laughs) you're just like, Whoa, how did I end up here? (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
1: Well, uh, I want to thank you for this Raul. This has been great and I appreciate the stories and the history and, uh, I wish you nothing but success with everything. And, um, here's to another great season of Mayans.
0: Well, Hey, thank you. I really appreciate you, uh, reaching out to me. Uh, I don't do many of these, but you just seemed to be super solid, and I liked your background, and I liked how you were, you know, looking at things. So I thought, yeah, this is gonna, this to this gonna be a good one, you know. And every once in a while, it's just, i think it's good sometimes to be able to see the people that you like and admire, and they, but you know, hear who they are and where they come from. You know, I don't want to always just be perceived as—you'd be amazed how some people, like you know, I'll, I'll run into people, whatever, premier like that, and they're like, oh oh, you actually speak English really well. I'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck? Where did R- that <laughs> come from? I'd be like, R- what? <laughs> I don't actually kill
1: people in the jungle either. Like, exactly.
0: come on. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, no, it's been really, really awesome to, uh, to talk to you as well. And please stay in touch about everything.
1: Awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate
0: it. I love it. All right. You take care, okay? Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.
1: I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.